Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. All right, uh, just three things today, and I'm going to keep this uh, simple. But here's the first thing when we talk about everlasting Father that I need to lay down for you, okay? If we're going to understand any of it, it means this. It means Jesus really is God. Jesus is uh, really God. Now, some of you uh, sitting here today are, right, are, are probably thinking to yourself, really? You mean I, I, that, that's what I came to church to hear, to hear the thing I've been hearing about for 30 years and already figured out like a long time ago? Come on. Yeah, but here's my thing to you on that. That may describe you, uh, you, but do you realize that, and maybe even in this room, not everyone has worked that out yet? Do you remember where you were before that life-altering truth just crashed into you and changed everything? But I, what I want you to hear me uh, say today is these four titles in Isaiah 9, 6, um, these are titles that you could only give to God. Two of them are implied, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, and two of them are overtly divine. Mighty God, which uh, Pastor James spoke on last week, and today, Everlasting Father. When it comes to Jesus, this is the thing I want you to hear this morning. When it comes to Jesus, this is a guy, and, and I'm hoping for some of you that are, are new and maybe you just don't know a ton about him. This is a guy who had no problem making bold claims about himself, about his divinity. I mean, this, this is what he said to Martha uh, a dear friend, just before uh, he rose Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 1, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who uh, lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Who talks like this? I mean, I mean, really. I mean, if you're here today as a skeptic, and, and maybe someone's convinced you to at least crack open the Bible, and, and with, some in, with some integrity and honesty, you're like, okay, I'll read the thing, I'll read the thing. I'm going to tell you, at the very least, you're going to have to admit that he is making uh, some pretty bold claims about himself. Repeatedly claiming to be able to do things that only the God of the Bible would ever dare claim to do. What do you mean by that? Well, he claimed to, did you know this? He claimed to be able to forgive sins, to grant eternal life, to uh, teach ultimate truth, uh, to uh, be the judge of the living and the dead. Again, here's my question. Who talks like this? Now it's Christmas time, and uh, I think I have a little latitude this morning uh, to, uh, you know, dabble back into the birth accounts of Jesus and Matthew and Luke, and I'm going to do that for a reason, but I want you to hear um, how it's so incredible that in the birth accounts there, they use four titles for Jesus that are rooted back in Isaiah 9-6. I think it's good for your hearts to hear it. In Matthew 1-21, when the angel appeared to a very confused Joseph, he said, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken uh, already by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son, and, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
In Matthew 2.1, a bunch of seeking wise men that came from the east of Jerusalem, they were asking everyone they could find, um, where, is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When an angel appeared uh, to a terrified young Mary in Luke 1.30, he said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The child to be born will be called the Son of God. And finally, how could I leave out the slightly disoriented shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, when the angel appeared to them, the shepherds, who were probably not even expecting anything to happen that night. They saw him. The angel says again, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So, see what I'm doing here? We've got these four incredible names for Jesus in the New Testament. They're rooted right back in those four names in Isaiah 9, 6, all looking forward to the birth of this world-changing Messiah to come. My favorite Christmas carol, by the way, um, uh, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, every, and, and it's verse 2 that gets me. And, and I want to just read the lyrics because it, it's, it's so tied to this point about Jesus being God. It says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. When we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about a name that is loaded with all of these divine titles. Now, here's what happened in the early church. The name Jesus had all this loading going on. It becomes so important that, uh, that the name of Jesus itself, by the time you get to the book of Acts, our, uh, the early church, our, really our Christian parents, uh, so to speak, from the first century, the name of Jesus was everything. They built their entire lives around the name of Jesus. Did you know, for example, when you read through Acts that they were saved in his name? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men where which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. They were baptized in his name. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. They were healed in his name. But Peter said, silver, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk, Acts 3, 6. They suffered in his name. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. The apostles left rejoicing that they had even been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then finally, they were even dying for the name of Jesus. 
And Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am not ready only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts 21, 13. So, so here's where I've been going with all of this, uh, building a little bit of a case here for you. Um, it's not random what I'm doing here right now. And I believe in my spirit that there are some people here today in this room that in this moment uh, ha have the Lord's already been preparing you to think through some decision you need to make. Here's the thing. If Jesus Christ is really God, not just some guy, not just some human, you can't just like him. You can't just appreciate him. I remember when I was at Western studying back in 1988, uh, my life was changed really when um, someone that was discipling me handed me a book. Some of you may have heard of it. Uh, it's called Basic Christianity by John Stott. Have you ever heard of this book? If not, you should, you should grab it very quickly. And the essence of what John Stott says in this book, and I'm just, I'm just going to rely on him right here now for all the things I want to say is just this, is if you look and, and see people who actually talked to Jesus in his life, and you heard the claims he was making and realized what he was claiming, there were only three possible ways that you could respond to him. You either hated him and tried to kill him for claiming to be God, and he, had, he certainly had those types, or you were scared to death of him because he, frankly, sounded like a lunatic, and, and you were probably thinking about institutionalizing him, or you fell down and worshipped him. You embraced him. You gave him your highest allegiance. You said, you said, you're the reason I'm going to get up in the morning. You're the reason. I, you're what I'm building my life around to live for you. You hated him, you feared him, or you worshipped him. But I'm going to tell you, you're not given the option in the Bible to just like him. He didn't give you that option or to be inspired by him, or to find him useful for the occasional little life nugget that might help you get through uh, the week. And it, it's sad to say, but it is true that so many people actually do uh, view Jesus in that way. And, they, and one of the reasons for that is they don't understand the Christmas story to begin with. They're not seeing that even in the Christmas story there's a claim here. The claim that he is the Messiah to come. A claim that requires you to either reject him or to embrace him with your whole life. Now, if what I'm saying right now is causing a little bit of a stumbling block for you, would you just hold, hold on to your seat for a moment? Um, this next thing may, may help you through it. I, I want to take a look now more about the phrase everlasting father, how it applies to Jesus. Hold on to this, this while I move through it. It's the second point. It means this. Ever, everlasting Father means that Jesus reveals the Heavenly Father. Jesus reveals the Heavenly Father. Now, um, this is the little tricky thing I got to do right now, and I'm going to really try to keep it uh, tight because it's not my desire to take you to seminary class here, but if I ignore this on this particular title, I'm kind of ignoring a big, uh, like, wh what about this uh, kind of idea? So, Here's the thing. 
When you actually think about the babe in the manger and then you think about the title, he shall be called everlasting father, it can kind of make you scratch your head. It can make you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been taught that there was father, son, and Holy Spirit. And he's the son. So are you telling me now that he's the father? Are you telling me that, uh, that the, he's the father, the father's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the son? Are you telling me that the Trinity, that we've built our entire orthodoxy around, that the Trinity doesn't matter? Are you telling me that, that uh, uh, being son is just one mode of God who appears, but he can appear as the father the, ne- the next day? And here's my answer to that. No, absolutely not. Entire church debates and early church councils and big theological books have been written about that. But here's what I want you to know. Everlasting Father, this is a messianic, kingly title. Jesus had been saying this all along in his ministry. John chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus cries out and says, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He, you know, he's saying, you want to see the Father? You're looking at him. I'm revealing him to you. Now, the quintessential moment in the Bible where this really comes into play, I mean, this is like where the, where the hammer hits the nail and drives it right into the, into the wood, uh, is when he was talking with good old uh, Doubting Thomas, who had some confusing things he was trying to work out, John 14, 6, and he says to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Now, I know that that is a statement of salvation, but you know what? It's more than that. In a way, what Jesus is saying is, not only does no one come to be able to know the Father, he's saying no one can experience the Father, no one could even understand the Father, no one can comprehend the Father if you exclude me from the picture. And he goes on to say to Thomas, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, Philip um, is in the corner trying to finish off his uh, Starbucks latte, and he's overhearing this conversation. I don't know if he was part of it at the beginning, but he kind of inserts himself in because this was obviously scratching an itch he had, and this is what he says. So after hearing all that, he says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus' answer here, and you know what? It's his answer here. This is kind of the reason I fall in love with Jesus over and over and over again. The patience that he displays when he deals with our confusion. He says this. Have I been with you so long, uh, with so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is revealing to us the perfect Father, the ideal Father, the one who really cares, the one who never turns his back on you, the one who looks at you perpetually with compassion, who's not fickle, 
who doesn't fly off the handle at your first mistake, who doesn't come to you to give you something only to find out that there are strings attached to it. He knows all about you. He knows all about your mistakes and your failures and your sin and your complexity and your quirkiness, and he loves you. Now, you, you may still be wondering, you know, you know, that's good, I got it, but there's still some things about the Father, you know. I find Jesus a little clearer because I got the Gospels. Well, let me just ask you some questions, okay? And you don't, please, don't answer out loud on me. These are sort of questions just for you right now. But just, just follow me for a moment here. For those of you who have ever even looked at the Gospels where you've seen Jesus, let me ask you these questions. Was was Jesus Christ compassionate and loving? So then, is your Father compassionate and loving? We long to know, does Jesus care for me and the burdens I'm carrying? Well, what does that tell you about your Heavenly Father? Was Jesus merciful in the way he treated people? So then, is your Father merciful? Was, was Jesus full of truth, the, the exact opposite of, of, of a liar? So that is your Father in heaven, truthful? Was Jesus kind and patient and angered at injustice? Listen, all that Jesus is, all that the, the God the Father is, is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He's everything God the Father wants you to know about himself as you look at his Son. So, quick review here. Jesus really is God. Okay? Number two, Jesus really reveals the Heavenly Father. But what else? What does that really mean for me, Leo? Final thing here. Um, it means that through Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. One of the most overlooked uh, uh, Christmas verses, actually, you may, you may be surprised to even hear me mention this from Galatians, but Galatians 4.4 4 says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, listen to this, they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And here's the promise of this verse. It's one of the greatest promises in the Bible, really. It's that is, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer an orphan. You're a child of God. Of all the religions in the world, there's no other religion that says that God came down, became human, and suffered along with us. He suffered. He knows what you're going through today. When you talk to him, he understands. When you pour your heart out, when you're in tears, when you find yourself repeatedly saying the same things over and over again, feeling a little embarrassed about the things you're trying to talk to him about, he knows it all, he understands it all, 
Not a single experience you can bring to him is foreign to him. Like, eh, I better pass this off to the, to the counseling God. That's been such a help to me to know that about Jesus. Not only to deal with the, the complex problem of suffering pers- uh, at large, but even in my own family tragedies. Listen, I don't know the answer to the question. Why hasn't God stopped suffering and evil yet? I don't know. But I do know what it can't be because of. It can't be because he doesn't love us, because he was willing to get involved. That's what makes him wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Because of all religions of the world, only Jesus, in Jesus, do you see God make himself so weak that he needed the courage to face suffering, to face danger and hunger and grieving and ridicule and rejection and homelessness and poverty and torture and death. Do you want answers to your pain right now? I do too. I got some questions. But you know what we both read, uh, need right now this, uh, this Christmas period? It's something more important than answers. We need his personal presence. And that's what Jesus Christ offers you now. And only the God with the wounds... Only the God of flesh who faced it all is there with you right now. He loves you so much that he's, he was willing to be thrown into the mix of suffering with us. That's what all of this everlasting Father, the incarnate one who came into the world, Emmanuel God with us, that's what it means this Christmas. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's nobody-